So they're making more than a typical FBI agent is. <laughs> they're making more than me. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. So, uh, so we're up to four robberies at this time, right? Yeah. So where do you guys go with – I mean, you obviously you know that they're getting – obviously, they're honing their craft. They're getting better at this. But what's your guys' response to this? Well, see, you know, that's interesting because we thought – well, we knew there were new players in town, okay? And we could establish it was like August, uh, September, October area, you know, that that, that they, had, um, they had started. So we thought, hey, you know what, though? The way these guys are operating, you know – that they had, you know, everybody kept saying, "Hey, you know, they, they were they were tall." Uh, you know, I don't want to put words in people's mouth, but I'll use the word "buff." They, they were fit, you know, tall, and they had they had like a military military bearing to them. Okay, that that's one of the things that came through, you know, in, in a lot of investigate in a lot of interviews. And uh, we said, "Oh, you know what? Maybe we've got some 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 players out of Homestead Air Force Base." You know, because there is a military base down there, and there is a Marine detachment down there. You know, plus there's also a lot of uh, National Guard, you know, activity in in Miami, and then we have Coast Guard. You know, so I mean, we figured, hey, you know what? These guys are probably either recently uh, uh, they it's, they military guys have just finished their enlistment. And, uh, and they're, you know, they're trying to find a way to supplement their, their income or something like that. So we thought that we, we might actually be, be dealing with recently retired or current active duty military guys, you know, or back in the day that that's back before, uh, this big, uh, this big craze started, you know, preppers, survivalists or whatever the heck they call themselves now, you know, that was the beginning of that craze back then, you know, like prepping, you know, and survivalists. Yeah. It's funny you were mentioning that, Ed, because, uh, you know, the, the, the 80s, it's still, we're not that far away from Vietnam. We're less than 10 years away. A lot of people, I said, not only Air Force, but you got Army, you've got Navy, you know, you've got a lot of people, Marines, you know, a lot of people, former military people. Um, and so, yeah, what was it about, you said, I'm surprised though, even for military people, you thought their shooting might have been just a little bit better if they were military trained. Well, you know what though, it's interesting you say that because when we, Post post incident, um, I mean, I I was <laughs> I had the easy part. I was in intensive care for two weeks, you know, <laughs> you know, so so I, I didn't have any investigative duties, <laughs> you know. So, but post incident, they found out that these guys would go out to the Everglades almost every week and practice. And practice and practice, and I know it might be getting a little bit ahead ahead of the uh, the story. But after the shooting and uh, happened, there was an investigation. They went they went to their homes and then they talked to their wives and girlfriends, and uh, <clears throat> they found a receipt. I think it, it was a uh, well, I forget whose home it was, but they found a, re- a receipt for the purchase of five thousand rounds of two two three ammo dang okay and they asked the girlfriends the, the uh, fbi and metro dade asked the girlfriends where's the ammo and they said oh they they shot it up um that's uh, a lot of rounds they said what they said yeah they used to practice a lot they used to go shooting a lot 
Okay. So I asked people, I said, hey, how many of you guys and ladies shoot 5,000 rounds of ammo a year in practice? <laughs> I mean, I'm a firearms instructor, okay, or used to be. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know whether I, as an instructor, I fired 5,000 rounds of ammo, you know, in a year. I mean, pretty close probably, but I mean, that's a lot of ammo, you know. I mean, you know, uh, but they had fired it in the previous two weeks. Man, well, either they, yeah, they just shooting it up. But you were talking about, though, I mean, you started formulating these theories, right? So how did these theories translate into next actions? I mean, you guys are putting a plan. At some point, you got to be figuring it. It seems like Fridays are a popular day for these guys to do stuff. You know, they are getting settled into a couple routines that might make them a little predictable. Correct. Yeah, right, right. You know, that's that's a good point. Uh, like, um, it, it's called intuitive policing. You know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, you, you take all the you take all the information. You know, you sift through it, and then you you try to come up with, with a. a some sort of a pattern and and the pattern that uh, uh gordon mcneil the supervisor and ben grogan the the case agent on on, on these bank robberies uh had come up with the fact that hey at least 50 percent of the robberies all happened on friday hmm. okay the other the balance of, of the uh other robberies happened on monday tuesday wednesday or thursday okay so fridays was a you know <laughs> for us old timers we know what payday Friday is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Remember the old, Hey, it's payday Friday. You hey, let's go. You know, you would actually get a paper check <laughs> handed to you or mailed to you. That's before direct deposit, you know? So that's what payday Friday was all about, you know? So they always hit on Fridays, you know? So, uh, not always, but you know, 50% of the time or, or more, they hit on Fridays, you know? So, so, you know, there is something, there's something to say about payday Friday, you know? So, uh, and then, you know, the, the, uh, the frequency, they, um, the, the last robbery we described, they got $41,000. The, uh, the next robbery that happened was uh, on uh, January the 10th uh, at the Barnett Bank, and they got $54,000 uh, on that robbery because they hit, they hit the armored truck itself, not the bank. So, uh, again, they go in, the, the armored truck's making a delivery at the Barnett Bank. The, the, the bank uh, courier didn't even get a chance to, to react. Okay. He opens the door, he stepped out, turns around, reaches inside to grab the money bags, the, the you know, the, the, the actual money duffels. Yeah. And before he knows it, he is blasted from behind with a shotgun in the legs. Okay, they've swept his feet out from under them. They didn't even give him a warning, no freeze, no boo or nothing, just boom. He's down. Two men Camouflage clothing, uh, hoods, gloves, and so on and so forth. You know, they walk up behind them and they they grab two money bags, and the individual with the uh, a rifle, assault rifle, shoots the the guard in the back twice with a two two three caliber rifle. Now that's pretty cold blooded. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean it's like hey, the guy's already down with shotgun a shotgun hit to his legs. You know what uh, what threat is he really? Think about it. But um, he pops him twice in the back. And when I lecture uh, at different conferences and, and so on and so forth, 
I talk about time and chance, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, luck, people, don't, people hate the word luck, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of it, but, you know, I, I kind of have to call it what it is, you know, and then I started going, I started going biblical on people. I said, time and chance, you know, that's the Bible's way of saying luck, you know, mm-hmm. time and chance. Okay, this guy is shot in the legs, and he's shot twice in the back with a two to three three caliber round. Okay, now what happened to the other guard at the Winn-Dixie? He was shot in the legs with a shotgun. Okay, he went down, and after a a long, lingering recovery and, and so on and so forth, he died a year later. Okay, time and chance. This guard is shot through the legs and two rounds through the back. He survived. You know, wow. after after getting shot twice in the back at close range with an assault rifle, he survives. You go, man, that, that's that's pretty good. That's I don't know whether that's luck or whether he's just I don't know what the what the answer is. You know, but anyway, so, so um, he, the, luckily the guard survived, but the, the bad guys got away with fifty four thousand dollars. Okay, so uh, that is when another we discussed eyewitnesses. An eyewitness saw what happened, and he is in the parking lot, and he sees these guys jump in the uh, in a gold-colored car. They speed away, and he follows them. He followed them at a distance, and they pull into a, a, a some restaurant uh, like two or three blocks away, park the car, sees them, grab the money bags, jump into a, a white pickup truck, and escape. Okay, so he he thought about following them and he started to follow them but i think one of them looked at him and kind of like gave him the evil eye and goes maybe maybe i better not you know so so he's the one that called the cops and that's that's when we recovered uh emilio brio's car it was a gold colored monte carlo you know so yeah something uh i want to something we should talk about that too jumping ahead just a little bit but this is how cold-blooded these guys work right because uh emilio brio skeletized skeletized remains were found later they had killed him for his car right correct they uh when he went he, when he disappeared october 4th they found his uh his remains on march 1st uh like like two months after this robbery okay and you know they didn't know who he was at the time but you know based on dental and, and i think they may have found uh some some other stuff that identified him as as being the Brielle kid, because they took his wallet, they took his guns and stuff. You know, he was our target shooting, and uh, he was identified. And he, when they found him, he had a he had a bullet hole in his forehead. You know, just point blank, boom, one shot down. You know, so <clears throat> pretty cold blooded. Uh, steal, you know, kill somebody for their car like that. You know, yeah. so damn. But um, so we recovered the car. They got a good hit. On the uh, on, on the bank, fifty four thousand. I mean, shoot, even I could live on fifty four a month, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on my government retirement, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but, so things kind of, you know, they kind of lay low, you know, until uh, until March. You know, they're obviously they're missing a car, and uh, then on uh, God, it was March the twelfth, I believe. Um, they. Uh, Jose Calazo, he's out target practicing at, at, at almost the identical same spot that um, uh, Emilio Braille had been. Uh, and uh, he's out there target practicing. And when he's out there, he notices a uh, 
white pickup truck pull into the uh, the same area he's target practicing in, and he kind of acknowledges them, say, hey, I'm shooting in this direction. They acknowledge back, saying, okay, we're going to shoot in that same direction, you know, that type of stuff. And he said, <clears throat> excuse me, about 20 minutes later, he feels something and kind of senses something behind him, and he turns around, and he's, he sees these two white guys behind him. One's carrying an assault rifle, and the other one's carrying a revolver. And they just walked right up to him and say, hey, give us your wallet, your guns, your car keys, and, you know, you know, all, all the other stuff, you know, so. Um, and he said, they asked him a peculiar question, you know, they asked him, are you a cop? And he said, what? What, what are you? No, I'm not a cop. Why? Never mind, you know. And I think they were asking him if he was a cop because <laughs> cops being cops, you know, they're looking for a place to practice, and that was that was a, a very popular place to go shooting. And a lot of cops went out there. So I don't think they wanted to carjack a cop because a, a missing cop is you'll know that's an all hands on deck thing, man. You, yeah, you're going to get the exactly, call down the exactly thunder. right. So uh, when he said no, he's not a cop. You know that they felt a little easier, I suppose. You know that's just speculation on my part. But he said no. You know so anyway. So they go through this song and dance. You know this uh, this little uh, ballet. It's like, hey, uh, walk over to that lake. And, and Colossus says, "Why?" <clears throat> he said, "Just shut up and walk to the lake." And he grabs him and, and sticks a gun on his back and says, "You know, kind of like again uh, nudges of encouragement. Walk over to the lake." And uh, Colossus thought, "Hey, you know what? This is a bad thing." You know, <laughs> they're walking me over to the lake for a reason. You know, it's, it's we're not going skinny dipping here. You know, so so uh, he said, "Hey, you know what? I, they're going to kill me." And he said, "I, I got nothing to lose." You know, so uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, say, "Hey, Colazzo, um was very lucky. He he's not a trained professional. He's never. I'm sure he'd seen. You know, the the you know the the the, the move that we're as cops are, are taught. Somebody sticks a gun in your back. You know, you you sweep. You turn and sweep the gun off your your mass, your center mass. You know, and, and try to get the gun. He must have seen that in a movie, probably Bruce Lee kung fu movie or something like that. You know, because he did that. He actually swept turned and swept the gun off him and he got his hand he, he got his hands on the gun and the the uh, the robber and Calazo were fighting over the gun and the gun goes off bomb bomb in a bomb somewhere during the course of um, of uh, the struggle uh, uh, there was a struggle for the gun and he was shot three times uh, one one round hit went through his hand another round went through his shoulder right shoulder, and uh, uh, one round went through his face, his the right part of his face. And I mentioned time and chance before. It's like, you know, I tell, you know, when I lecture, I tell people, I say, hey, how many of you guys in, in this classroom want to get shot in the face? And, then, and of course, nobody, nobody wants to get shot in the face. But uh, here we are. Kalazo was shot in the face, you know, and he was so lucky, you know, and I, I can't show you over over this, uh, this uh, audio recording, but when I teach, you know, I actually have a, a slide, you know, showing the 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 tra trajectory of the round when it went through his face, you know, and it went through his uh, right cheek uh, over his uh, the right part of his uh, jaw, and it came out the back of his ear. You know, it's like wow, talk about a lucky shot. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> nobody wants I, to I, get what, shot in the face. But if you're going to get shot, I mean, there's a lot of empty space through there. You're not at least hitting the exactly, spinal cord exactly. or the brain. 
Exactly wow. right. Yeah, that's what I say, time and chance. It was just one of those lucky shots, you know. It's like, you know, 99 times out of 100, somebody shoots you in the face, you're probably going to go down hard, you know. But this time, I mean, luck was on his side, you know. So, um, I mean, don't, don't get me I, I tell people, I say, don't get me wrong. Don't go home and try it. At home. Try this at home. Don't do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. You know, I, you know, don't, you know. But, I mean, if you're going to get shot, that's probably the best way to, 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 to get shot because he survived, okay. And he, uh, according to the, um, uh, he was interviewed by Ben Grogan and, and Steve Warner. He said, "Hey, man, it was a, it was painful." So, but the good part is, there's pain. Okay, pain's nature's way is nature's way of telling you you're still around, you're still alive. You know, so what I thought was, yeah, go ahead. But the the interesting part too is, um, and you'll get to it, right? Um, I don't know if you and you need to tell me they either have they have some fascination for it. Because uh, we're going to talk about one of the reasons they shot him why it was to get his vehicle. They needed a new vehicle because the gold Monte Carlo had been seized. Correct. Correct. Right. And, you know, again, you know, it's like you don't have to kill people for, to steal their car. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, you, there's other ways to get to get cars, you know. But, I mean, you know, I mean, it's certainly an option. I mean, that's on the high end <laughs> option scale, you know. But, I mean, pe- people do shoot other people for their cars, you know. But, but anyway, um, Colasso was very lucky. Uh, he survived. He became our first live witness. Okay, that's how we found. Um, that's how we found that the, the shooters were white males. They were about six feet two, uh, well built, uh, military bearing. Uh, they were driving a white pickup truck. Um, he had a. He gave a great description of the truck, and. Um, <clears throat> And he gave us a composite. Uh, he gave Metro Date, uh, Metro Date PD, you know, uh, the, the old extra sketch, <laughs> you know, police sketch, you know, Mr. Potato Head sketch, you know. So, I mean, actually, it was pretty good, really. The composite, you know, when when we uh, had their driver's license photos, you know, it was they were pretty good like this. So um, that happened on the twelfth and March twelfth, and then about six seven days later, there was a robbery at the Barnett Bank again. And um, just happened to have a um, U.S. Customs uh, officer uh, off-duty going to the Barnett Bank to uh, cash a check. And um, the customs officer was just getting ready to to, uh, go into the bank when he sees uh, two, (laughs) two, two male individuals running out of the bank at, at, Port Arms, they were both carrying long weapons, you know, and he stops and he's shot by it. They were wearing, you know, hoods and gloves and stuff. They jump into a black car, and when they backed out of the parking space in the in the, um, in the bank parking lot, they actually backed the rear end of the car towards his car, and he got the tag. He read the tag. He wrote it down. He verified it was um, Jose Calazo's car. Okay, and, and um, we we kind of concluded that, you know, Calazo was shot in the same place that Brielle was shot. So, um, you know, we figured, you know, that would probably come up. And sure enough, a week later, it comes up. Now, that was the end of the robberies <clears throat> that, that we can attribute to them. Okay, now that was on the March 18th, okay? Now, on April 10, Gordon McNeil, supervisor, and Ben Grogan, case agent, happened to be at Firearms, okay, uh, that day. That was a Thursday. And uh, they had kicked the case around, and <clears throat> I told you about intuitive policing, you know, just, you know, like, hey, you, you, you put facts together. <clears throat> and um, Gordon McNeil 
was talking to Ben and said, "Hey Ben, how about starting? How about let's run a surveillance tomorrow uh, on these on your two guys?" And I know the story because uh, Gordon McNeil re- related it to us after the fact, you know, kind of like uh, reminiscing and stuff. He said we they kicked it around and, and Ben asked him a question. He says, "Why? why? What, what's going on, Gordon? What, what, what do you think?" He said, "Well, I got a hunch, Ben." He said, "The last time they hit." was about two or three weeks ago. They only got $8,000 in cash, he said. And tomorrow's Friday. He said, I think they're due because they only got $8,000, you know. So uh, he said, I think they're due. And I think tomorrow was, would be a good day to start a surveillance, you know. And that is exactly how the surveillance was initiated, you know, because we've gotten a lot of flack over the years, you know, especially in, 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 the, in the years immediately after the shooting, you know, saying, hey, you guys were, you know, should have been better prepared. You had a tip, you know, you, you know, you had an informant, you had a tip, something happened that you guys knew, knew to be out there. And nope. We didn't. We didn't have a tip. A tip. I was, was going to uh, ask you about that. I was going to say. Uh, I mean, you guys are. You've got some hunches about military training or stuff. But at this point, in all of your investigations, do you have any clue? Are these guys' name in your system anywhere? Nope. Nothing. Up until Jose Calazo became the witness, we didn't even know. Nobody could tell us. You know, with any definite, yeah, that they were white, they were black, or were Hispanic. We did, we had nothing. They were, they were phantoms. They really were phantoms, you know. I mean, they they covered themselves pretty good. Hoods, gloves, you know. <clears throat> and granted, you know, a hood isn't isn't a hundred percent, you know, especially around the eye sockets or around your mouth. You know, you always have some space, you know, where you can tell somebody, hey, you know, he's uh, light skin or or he's uh, brown skin or black skin. Okay, but when you when you're when you're a bank teller and someone's got a, a shotgun in your face. You don't see all you see is a shotgun, well, you know. So. A couple of the bank robberies I worked, they might have pointed a peace shooter at them and they would have said, It's a fucking howitzer. The guy had a howitzer in here. Yeah, exactly. You know, stress does that to people, you know. So, but, uh, you know, Calazo was a great witness, you know. So, um, you know, we, we, uh, that was the first time we, we had, we had, a definitive answer on whether they were black, white, or, or, or Hispanic, you know, so, but anyway, so, uh, that's how the surveillance started, you know, it's like, Hey, um, Gordon said, I got a hunch and that was it, you know, and, you know, we talked about weapons before people said, well, you should have been better prepared, you know, yada, 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 so on and so forth. You know, the only guys that could carry, uh, exotic weapons and by exotic weapons, I mean like the, the pistols, the high capacity pistols, the uh, M16s and the MP5 submachine guns were SWAT trained agents. Okay, the rest of us mortal mortal agents had to carry standard issued weapons. Okay, which was 38 caliber revolvers or or 357 magnums and or Remington 12 gauge shotguns. That was it. That's all we were authorized to carry. Now, did some of the agents though have nine millimeters? Were you guys starting to transition, or did they have access to nines? Right, the SWAT guys. The SWAT guys had the nines. We had uh, at the time we had five SWAT guys assigned to our squad, and the, all five SWAT guys were on surveillance that day. Okay, unfortunately, they were all spread out over a five mile area. You know, uh, Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove and Ron Reisner were the three SWAT guys that were on scene during the shooting. And, and Murph, just a quick. Uh point for you uh do you know about jerry dove he is a west virginia native and graduated uh from west wvu in marshall 
Yep, from law school. In fact, yep. my best friend from high school, who is now a district court judge in West Virginia, went to law school with Jerry. And after that happened, he called me and said, you know, man, I know you're trying to get in DEA, but don't, whatever you do, don't go to South Florida. He would tore him up pretty good, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, but, but we're continuing on. So you're starting to, so it's a good day to do a robbery. You guys thinking, Hey, let's pull some guys together. So give us the idea now. How do you, how do you pull the operational plan together? What does the op plan look like? Ben and, Ben and Jerry, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, Grogan and, 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 uh, and Gordon talked and Ben said, Hey, you know, I'll take all the help I can get uh, Gordo. So, uh, Ben calls the office and he, he talks to the bank robbery coordinator, Steve Warner, and said, hey, see, uh, see, pass the word around, see how many guys we can get for a surveillance tomorrow in, in, south, in south Miami. He said, we're, we're going to run a surveillance on, on, the, on the banks uh, down in the southwest, uh, South Dixie area. And he said, okay, Ben. He said, what's up? What do you know? He said, no, nah, you know, it's just a hunch. And Gordon, Gordon wants to run a surveillance tomorrow. He said, try to see, try to see how many guys you can get and have them all meet at the um, Home uh, Depot on uh, South Dixie and 160th Street. So I was in the squad area when that, when that call came in and, and uh, he hung up and Steve said, hey, anybody that can help tomorrow, uh, Ben needs help surveilling you know, the, the banks down in, in Southwest. You know, So we said, okay. So the word gets passed around. <clears throat> and it's always voluntary because, uh, you know, guys have court. Guys have other appointments, to, uh, other, you know, interviews, uh, appointments, or, you know, a sick day or a vacation or whatever. So it's like, hey, you know, just passing the word out, see, see who can help. and. Uh, the next day, we had uh, 14 agents, uh, 11 from uh, the the bank robbery squad, and three agents from the Homestead uh, resident agency down there. So a total of 14. So we met on uh, we met on uh, at 160th and uh, at the Home Depot, <clears throat> and we all got all pertinent information uh, from from Ben. Got the uh, the composite photos. Got the description of the. Um, a stolen Monte Carlo, the description of the pickup truck. And we also got a description of a couple of other cars that, uh, of some folks that were missing, missing persons and their, their car descriptions that, that may or may not be involved, you know? So, uh, so, you know, just, we had more information than we needed, you know? So we made the, uh, the, um, surveillance assignments. There were, uh, four major spots where agents were assigned and every one of those spots had been hit before with a robbery. Yeah, see, that's the thing that you're saying. It's like the, the, the last robbery they did, too. They had hit months earlier. It's kind of like part of their flaw in their planning, too, right, was that they're they're going back and hitting some of the same places they'd done before. Well, yeah, you know, 136th Street, um, they hit, they hit the, there's two banks there, and they hit each bank once each, even though the banks are, like, next door to each other. So it's kind of misleading in, in a way, but it's not. I mean, you, you you go right back to the same address, basically. And on the morning of April 11th, that's where Ben and Ben Grogan and Jerry Duff picked them up. They picked them up at 136th Street and South Dixie Highway. They went back to that bank location a third time, which is bizarro. I mean, you you got to ask yourself: you're going back a third time. You know, it's like wow. I mean, there's there's other banks out there, guys. You know, I'm were, just saying. Were, you know, were Jerry and Ben in the same car? Or did they have separate cars. 
No, Ben Ben and Jerry were in the same car. Yeah, they were partnered up that day. Yeah, so and based on so where they picked them up at, and in relation to where they were eventually headed, how far? Where was it where they picked them up at, and where were they headed to? I mean, how many blocks are we looking at? Well, see that that's a very good question, and I always, in the spirit of full disclosure, want to tell people up front that I am probably the. I don't want to sound like an ass, but I'm probably the the definitive expert on on, on the shooting. Well, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> you were well, there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. But by the same token, I also some ass some ass hat writes a Wikipedia article, and all of a sudden he's the fucking expert. Well, I mean, yeah, some of them are, I guess, you know. But but see, in in my in in my case, I always put this caveat out there as in full disclosure. The story I'm telling you is about. 85% accurate. And I tell people, I said, why do I say 85% or 80% accurate? And I tell them this, because we have four dead witnesses. Four dead witnesses. I said, they they did things that nobody, we, we think we can go back and reconstruct what happened and their actions but we really don't know with 100% certainty that it, it happened the way, the way we think it happened. So I always put that out there, okay? But this is, this is what I think happened. Well, this is what I know happened, okay? But it's still speculation. At about 9.25, 9.30 in the morning at 136th Street and South Dixie Highway, Ben Grogan, Jerry Dove, uh, Gordon McNeil, Terry Nelson, and Richard Manowski were at 136th Street. There were two banks there. Okay, that's where we had five five agents in that area. And it's all static surveillance, right? Nobody's mobile. Everybody's sitting in a car, you know. Everybody's just kind of hanging out, you know, spread out, you know. And it's it's South Florida, so you want to find a shady spot, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, so you don't want to get too hot, you know. So, so this is what we speculate happened when Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove were watching the bank. Okay, they 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 went up there and, and they saw a marked unit parked in front of the banks, and. Terry Nelson went over there and made contest. Hey, what's what's going on, guys? She said, hey, yeah, the bank hired us as extra security. We're going to be here the whole day as long as the bank, all you know, during bank hours from, from 9 to 3 or whatever the heck they were. So, yeah, we're going to be sitting here. And they were in, in a marked unit in uniform. Okay, there were two guys in the car. So he went back and reported it on the radio. Say, hey, there, there's a marked unit here. Uh, I don't think anything's going to happen here. What do you guys want to do? And and Gordon said, hey, let's just stick around. Let's hang out and see what happens. So we speculate that somewhere around 925, 930, the two robbers pulled up in the Black Monte Carlo up to the bank, did a surveillance around the bank, saw the marked unit. And said, "Nah, this is not this is not the place." So they started driving away, and they got back on on South Dixie Highway and started heading north. Now, speculation is that when they did that, Ben and Jerry were uh, uh, far enough away from the scene that all they could see was the top of the black car driving through the parking lot around the bank, and then leave 
the parking lot to head northbound. They could not verify the tag because it was too far away. And then secondly, it was blocked by all the other parked cars in the parking lot. So speculation is that they saw the car, they put their FBI car in gear, and they started following it, trying to catch up. That location was 136th Street at about 128th Street. That's when Ben Grogan called on the radio and said, attention all units, we're behind a black vehicle, two-door, Florida tag, Florida license, NTJ891, and that was Calazo's car. So it took him from 136th Street all the way up to 128th to catch up with the, the black car to verify the tag. And it wasn't until he got there that he verified the tag. So that's what we think happened. And and you know what? I'm I'm pretty confident that's what happened. But again, it's speculation. Okay. <laughs> so that's how that's how Ben and Jerry uh, found found the Monte Carlo. They came into the parking lot, saw the marked unit in front of the bank, and said, "Nah, this is not the place." You know. So they started driving away, looking for another location. Okay. And the next thing we know, you know, we're on we're on a, a real quick. Uh, short chase catching up with these guys so um by the time ben grogan announced it he was already past my location he was north of my location by two blocks okay so i we jumped on 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 the highway and started heading north and then uh we caught up to them i saw the actual monte carlo you know in in traffic on us1 and then they turned uh, right on 117th right on 81st and then right on uh, 120th, and then they made a left on 82nd Avenue. And then that's when Ben called out and said, hey, I fell out of car stop. Let's do it. You know, and then <laughs> the rest of it is just, you know, one big one big show, you know, so. Well, l- let's talk about that because they call out the felony car stop. By the time they get ready to do the stop, you guys get ready to do the stop. Who, who, is, who have you got with you now? How, you've got quite a few cars, quite a few agents. We had... Um, of, of course, everybody was alerted, okay? And don't forget, we were on surveillance, you know, from, from my location at 128th uh, Street to the southernmost location of the surveillance was about was about five miles. So um, um, we had units all the way in the, on the south part of the uh, surveillance, you know, rushing up to help us. <coughs> when Ben called felony car stop, it was Ben Grogan, Jerry Dove in one car, Morales and Hanlon in the second car, Richard Manowski in the third car, and then Gordon McNeil had had paralleled and made a U-turn and come back to help us. Okay, so uh, four cars, uh, six agents. And then when the car chase and the car crashes ended, we had eight agents on the scene and two bank robbers. I mean, I don't know if the I don't know if you're thinking about things because this gets into the tough part. No, no, I'm, I'm just waiting for you know for any clarification. Oh that no, you no, need, you're, you know, look, dude, it's your story. So I mean, <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm, okay. looking at a, I'm looking at a drawing of how the cars were situated at the time. Right, you know, and and that, that, you know, we ended up there because uh, people say, "Well, no, you know what? Though it was was it a chase? Was it a, a cra- it was both? It, it was a, a slow a slow surveillance turned into a, a short." quick chase with bumper cars and then we continued to crash crash and crash and crash and then we ended up crashing against the wall and Manowski ended up crashing him twice you know and then pinned him up against a uh, a parked car and a tree and everything was 
still at that point. You know, I mean, you, the, the, what was that old saying? The quiet was deafening and the silence was deafening, you know, so, but uh, I mean, we weren't sitting on our thumbs, you know, because Gordon McNeil jumped out, Ben Grogan jumped out, and they're yelling, FBI, police, give yourselves up. And, of course, their response was gunfire, you know. So I'm across the street, and I I'm, I'm, had a shotgun. I had a 12-gauge shotgun with uh, double-lock pellets um, loaded into it. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm 50 yards out, man. I, this this double-lock pellet <laughs> isn't going to cut it at 50 yards, man. Plus, I've got like three or four or five agents out in front of me. It's like I'll be more than likely to hit them than anybody else, you know. So I knew I had to get closer, so I ran across the street. And I saw Gordon McNeil's position, so I, I veered to, to the slightly to the left, uh, that side of the scene, you know, and I went into to reinforce Gordon McNeil on, the, on his left side behind the engine block of um, – of uh, Richard Manazzi's car. And I tell people, I say, hey, a funny thing happened to me on the way to the gunfight. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't make it. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm running. I, I mean, I, I can, I mean, obviously it's, it's in, embedded in my brain. You know, I was running forward one second and looking for a threat. I mean, I could see where Gordon McNeil was shooting, but he was shooting into a tinted window in a, of, of a parked car or a crashed car, and I really couldn't see what was inside, you know, and I, but I knew he was shooting in that general direction. So I'm trying to get to Gordon's position so that I can reinforce him on the left side. And next thing I know, I'm looking up at the blue sky, and I'm thinking, what the hell happened? You know, it's like, what did in you, the hell? Did you feel anything? Not at all. I, have, I You know, people say, hey, what's it feel like to get shot? And I look at him and I say, I don't know. I don't know what it felt like because it felt nothing. I know what it feels There's like nothing. after you've been shot, but it's like. Oh, no, yeah. no, exactly. After, after is a different story. But at the initial, uh, at the initial gunshot point, nothing. I had no sensation whatsoever. What were you it hit with? I was hit with a, uh, the 223 caliber round. You know, I was hit through the, uh, the left arm, which was in front of my chest, you know. Now, did you have, let's talk about going into the gunfight. I know that there was some body armor used. How were you equipped that day? Were you equipped with, uh, other than like your revolver and your shotgun, do you have body armor on? Yeah, everybody had body armor. And whether they, they chose to put it on or not, it was it was an individual call. <laughs> I had it and it was in the back seat. You know, I, I, it was too hot. I mean, it, body armor in South Florida, you know. Plus, then you had to have your ray jacket on, which is, you know, again, suffocating. You know, you got, you know, this heavy armor and then you've got this, the windbreaker and i said nah forget it i'll just put on the windbreaker you know so but I, I had it you know but in retrospect though too when you were looking at the old state of the body armor those things wouldn't have stopped a 223 no 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 way no way not unless you had a plate in yeah no way, you wouldn't you wouldn't have had it on your arm anyway no i would have had it on the arm anyway so no but it's interesting though because i mean you know i if um i i, I get into a very detailed account in in my book you know it's like and I, I can't show the listener, you know, because, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you have to have video or, or a lecture, but you have two, you have two floating bones in your forearm, the, the radial bone and the ulnar bone, you know, and they, that's, that's how you can rotate your wrist left and right, up and down, you know, so, and luckily for me, the two bones in my forearm were perfectly aligned between me and the shooter. Okay. And the round hit the both bones. Okay. If it only, if it, if the round had only hit one bone, it would not have been enough to just stop the round. It would, it would, the round would have kept coming through and hit me, hit me in the chest. So, and as you're holding it up, just to give everybody a visual, you're kind of holding like your left arm across your chest in front of you, right? Correct. And the reason it, it, I put it that way is because as I'm running 
to to help Gordon, I realized, oh shit, I've got the muzzle of the shotgun pointing at his back. So I'm thinking that's not, you know, it goes back to training. And you know, I said, oh man, I, I've got to, you know, I can't do that. It's officer safety. So I brought the muzzle up slightly, almost to, to like a military port arms position. Okay. So when I brought it up to port arms, I had, you know, brought my, my left arm up yeah, in front of my chest. Right across your chest like that. And and that's when the round hit me, you know. And I tell people, I say, hey, man, if the left arm hadn't been there, it would have been a different story. Now, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed, yeah. Okay, and you shoot right-handed too with your with yeah. the shotgun? Okay. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I, in, in that respect, I was pretty lucky. But uh, the round hit me, and, and it hit, uh, hit the, the pinky bone, the ulnar bone first, and then it kept coming through, and it hit the radial bone, uh, the thumb side, and it completely pulverized my arm. At the point of impact, it was uh, like a little, like a pinprick. And at the exit, uh, which the the muscle, the bone mass was enough to, to deflect the round instead of having it go straight across, it deflected the round up. You know, and so it, as my forearm is flat on the table, it, it deflected up into the air straight up. So it took two inches of my radial and two inches of my ulnar bone out. Poof, it disappeared and, along with the uh, the flesh and, and, and the tissue and tendons, <laughs> everything else in between and skin and stuff, you know. So and it, of course, it shattered, you know, the, my uh, my my. A forearm bones completely. I mean, it was just like. And I'm going to state the obvious, but but I want people need to understand. But at that point, your 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 left arm is out of action. You're basically useless. It, it was yeah, you know, it was. To, I mean, total devastation. You know, uh, the doctor. I, I read a medical report and I was I was stunned. The uh, medical report said that I, ha- I had a hole in my forearm, uh, three or four inches wide, and about six inches long. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? Holy cow! Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you, your forearm is only so is only so wide, you know. And then I think, well, uh, tissue is elastic. Okay, so when it exploded, you know, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't just explode like like a, like dirt. It, you know, it, it stretched out, so it, it the hole was way bigger than 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 you would normally think, you know. So, but he said, yeah, you're you had a hole in your arm about three inches wide. And six inches long, and I'm thinking, geez, where's you know? That's, I mean, thank God all the bone in there wasn't what d- didn't get uh, blown out, you know. Good. You're on the ground. How far are you from McNeil's car? Uh, I fell. My actual the actual blood blood uh, puddle was about four feet from the uh, from the from the car from the tire. So I was almost I was almost to to put the point of cover behind the engine block when I took the hit. So when I fell back, my my actual forearm was about four feet from the car. And when you fell back, did you? Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounded like you said you fell back. Did did you lose consciousness? And if so, or or were you just stunned, uh, like in shock, or what happened at that point? No, you know, I, I didn't lose consciousness. Uh, but it's like one second, the world is kind of semi-normal and I say semi-normal because I have, I was going into fight or flight, you know, I, I started losing, uh, getting auditory exclusion, you know, the, the gunshots sounded like they were muffled and things were moving in slow motion, even though I was running, you know, for all I was worth, you know, but after I, after I fell back, that's when the world changed. Okay. It was like. 
I was moving through molasses. I was like, it felt lethargic, you know, it's like, and I mean, there was no pain, but I mean, I'm sure I was moving normal, but my sensation was that I was like moving like, oh, we're moving real slow motion, you know, that, I mean, that's my perception, but in reality, I probably wasn't, you know, so, but in other words, you know, the, the, the hit actually stunned and it stunned me mentally and physically. It shot me. Okay, but I, I didn't lose consciousness, you know, and I, I still kept looking around. And after I took the hit, uh, I lost all hearing, total hearing loss, you know. I had a um, a ringing uh, sound in my ears, you know, uh, just like it, just like a, a nonstop going, Ee-ing! you know. And I tell people, I said, man, I had my bell rung. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you did, yeah. And then I, and to, not to belabor the point, but, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead, you know, but I found out later after I'm assessing my wounds, I mean, I, I, I was trying to use my left arm to, to, to push up because I still had the shotgun in my right hand. I was trying to get up and help McNeil and, and I couldn't get up, you know, so it, it took a, a lot of effort for me to take my eyes off the, the danger area. You know, I was just scanning for threats. And it took a, will, a force of will to take my eyes off the threat and look at my left side, find out what the hell's going on. Okay, it wasn't until that point, probably a minute after I got was shot, that I realized I'd been shot. It, it took a visual exam. I had to look down and realize, hey, I've been wounded. You know, and that was that was devastating. I mean, it was psychologically, you know, it's like holy shit. I mean, you know, it was bad bad enough, you know, not being able to function. But when you actually acknowledge that you've been shot, and you you see this piece of meat, you know, uh, on the sidewalk next to you, you go, "That can't be my arm." It was so it was so destroyed that I actually put the shotgun down across my chest and took my right hand and I went over here and I picked it up like this and shook it in front of my eyes like that. And I'm thinking, "Holy shit, it's attached. That is my arm." Like, it was just. It was all puffed up, swollen and purple and stuff. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, crap. I threw it back down on the ground, grabbed the shotgun, and continued to scan for threats. You know, so, so let's talk about that for a second. Um, because like you say, you're equipped with Tell us about what you're equipped with at that time. You've got a shotgun and a revolver. But what about the shotgun? Semi-automatic pump? No, it was a Remington 12-gauge, you know, the standard-issued, you know, pump shotgun, five rounds. Yeah. Yeah, one in the chamber. Because that's 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 coming up to my point, right? You've got only one functioning arm at this point, but you've got a pump shotgun. Right, right. Yeah, I kind of thought about that, you know. <laughs> I said, well, I've got at least one good shot. You know, you know one, I got round. one round. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can make it work if I have to, you know. So, but see, as I'm as I'm assessing all this, and I'm, I'm looking for threats, I'm assessing what's going on, you know, and I'm thinking – my ears ringing, what the hell's going on, you know? And then I see some movement off to my left. And I'm thinking, what the hell? You know, because I'm scanning left and right. I'm scanning on top of the cars. I'm scanning underneath the cars, you know? I still had a pretty, pretty, uh, you know, pretty good situational awareness, uh, even though I I knew I was down, you know? And I I wasn't about to get up. I wasn't going to try to roll over and get up because bullets are still flying over my head, you know? Shots are still going up. I was like, hey, probably the safest spot for me to be in right now is behind the engine block on the on the on the ground, you know. So, which which is okay. <laughs> but then I see some movement off to the side of the my left side, and I'm thinking, what the hell was that? So I'm I'm scanning to the left, and I don't see anything. I scan left and right, slowly scanning left and right, and then I, I I'm scanning to the right, and then I my eyes go to the right along with the muzzle of the shotgun, and then I see something 
moving on the left again. And I quickly moved the shotgun to the left, and I'm thinking, what the hell was that? And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? You know, I'm thinking to myself, something's going on here. So I paused, and I went, you know, looking straight, you know, ahead. Like my nose, my nose is 12 at the 12 o'clock position. I had my shotgun pointing that way. And I didn't move my eyes, didn't move my head, but I, I, I moved my eyes to the left, but not my head. And I'm looking to the left, and that's when I saw it. I'm thinking, holy shit, what the hell was that? I saw some liquid, red liquid, flying through the air past my feet. And I'm thinking... Is that what I think it is? And I'm still looking up. You know, I had my eyes up to screwed up to the left side of my head, and I saw it a second time. And I'm thinking, "Holy shit, that's blood!" You know, I'm thinking, "What the hell?" I said, "I've been shot in the head." You know, and I'm thinking, "Gee whiz!" You know, so I, I again, I laid the shotgun across my chest, and I'm thinking, "This day is getting better and better." Man, so I, I took my right hand and I'm, I, I kind of put my fingers together into like a like a, a spear, and I'm thinking, "Okay, I, I'm going to go up to my forehead, and I'm going to feel a big mush mushy hole up there." So I went up there and I stuck my fingers in my my the side of my forehead, and I'm thinking, "Well, it's, it's all solid solid bone up here," and I pulled it back. It was blood, and I put my palm on it and it was blood and I put my palm on it a second or third time. It was all bloody. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, I've been shot in the head. But I said, but, but my skull's intact. So I said, I, you know, I don't know what the hell is going on. So I said, Hey, my skull's intact, you know, no big deal. And what I had done was when I put my palm on there, I had, uh, moved the, the flap of skin that was, that was, uh, uh, on the, on, on the, the temple area. I had pushed the flap of skin, over the wound and slowed the arterial and actually stopped the arterial bleeding. Not, not, not stop it. Stopped, stopped it from squirting. It was still bleeding, but it slowed down, you know, so I'm thinking, Oh shoot, I've been shot in the head. And that's probably what I, why I had uh, the ringing in my ears <clears throat> because when I was shot through the forearm, I started falling back. I took a second grazing head wound to the left side of the temple. It just grazed my temple area, you know, and it severed the temporal artery, which caused the arterial bleeding, you know. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, this is this day's just getting better and better, you know. So I'm, I'm, you know, looking around for a threat, you know, and I'm thinking, I, you know, this this can't get any worse, man. I'm thinking. So <clears throat> slowly, my hearing came back, and I I could hear popping sounds directly in front of me, and then slowly. As as the as the incident progressed, the popping sounds went from dead center at my twelve o'clock to to the right to the one o'clock position, and then continued to the right to the two o'clock position, and then continued to the right to the, my three o'clock position. I'm thinking, you know what? Everything's on the other side of this car, and I, I said, I can't see what the hell's on the other side. So that's when I, when I decided to crawl on my back, and. Um, Sorry, and maneuver, maneuver over to to the other side of the car. So I had I used my my shoulder blades and my heels to try to to try to like back crawl, you know, not not low crawl, but back crawl uh, to 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 the uh, to the other side of, of uh, McNeil's vehicle, uh, whose whose car I was laying next to, you know. So, and it wasn't until I got clear of the the tires. Uh, of the car that I was able to see around to the other side to see what the hell was going on. And that's when I, when I peeked around the side of the car there, I saw Ben Grogan, uh, Jerry Dove and John Hanlon down behind uh, Ben's car. And I, I honestly didn't know whether they were alive or dead. They weren't moving, you know, so I'm thinking that ah, crap, you know, so I said, 
these three ages are down, and I saw Gordon in the street. So that's those four ages are down. So I'm I'm the fifth agent, you know. And I didn't know where Manazi and I knew where Gil Arante and, and Ron were. They were across the street. I, I'd seen them, you know. So I'm thinking, well, you know what? Though uh, I saw a pair of legs uh, running from the back of uh, Ben Grogan's car to the to the front. You know, I said, well, that's got to be a bad guy because that's the only <laughs> I have accounted for all the agents. You know, so that's got to be a bad guy. And I aimed my shotgun from underneath the car, and um, you know, one handed on the ground. And I'm thinking, well, should I fire or not fire? You know, because I'm aiming at at Jerry, Ben, and John's position. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, you know what? Though, if I fire and I hit the agents, and I end up killing one of the agents, that would be, I, you know, that would be disaster. That would be, I couldn't live. I couldn't live with myself if if I did that. You know, so I'm thinking, don't no, don't shoot. You know, so I went through the shoot don't shoot scenario. You know, so <laughs> I think the uh, the uh, crime scene. <laughs> you know, verifies that, you know, I shot uh, the it subject in, in the feet, even though uh, when when I think on it, you know, I, I don't have any recollection of actually firing that shot. I have a recollection of aiming, but I, and I said, hey, don't shoot because you're going to hit the agents. But the reality is that I did shoot, you know, so that, that's, uh, they call that traumatic amnesia. You know, I, it, you did something that you don't recall, you know, so. Now you're are you at the back corner now of of whose car? Uh McNeil's car. Okay. And now you so you got I see I've had the pleasure or the horror, I'm not sure which, of listening to the reenactment of this at Agent Enrichment Night when I was in the DEA Academy. And on Wednesday night we'd all go have a steak dinner and then you went and listened to a guest speaker and uh, I don't I don't recall if you were there. You may have still been in the hospital because this was in eighty seven. Um, but the Miami Dade, I think it was a sergeant who was yeah. the lead investigator, was there, and, right. and it was like yeah. a three-hour presentation. That uh, was Dave Rivers, yeah, yeah. And so now you've got an expended round with a pump shotgun. Did you? I mean, did you have? Did you? Did that realization come to you that you know you got a chamber around? Oh, exactly. You know, and and you know the the plan kind of evolved. I mean, obviously, as 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 most most plans or most survival scenarios, you know, dictate, you know, and the thing is, you know, when when I fired the shotgun, uh, I was on the ground on my side. I fired the shotgun, you know. Then I had to maneuver um, my my body, you know, because I had to bring the shotgun back. Because I mean, I wasn't going to crawl like you know a snake. A snake moves. It's extended. It moves. I, I can't crawl like that. I have to bring my arm back up and use my shoulders or my elbows or something. So when I brought the shotgun back, I put it across my chest and I'm thinking, hey, you know what? I've got it here across my chest and the butt's kind of over to the side on the ground. So I just, you know, I just went ahead and racked it right there on my chest, racked one round in. So I knew I had a second round in there. Okay. So that's when I grabbed it back by the uh, by the pistol grip and uh, by the by the trigger guard there, and I started crawling on my back. So because I couldn't see uh, past McNeil's car, so I had to get into a position where I, I I still had some some cover and be able to peek around the car at the same time. So that's when I maneuvered myself into a sitting position with my back up against the uh, the the bumper. And and the uh, the trunk of McNeil's car, and that's when I was able to peek around 
to, to, to see what was going on with Ben Grogan's car. And in my mind, it took me like five or 10 seconds to, to do that. Okay. From the time that I don't remember firing until the time I sat up and, and had my back up against McNeil's car. To me, it was 10 seconds. Okay. But in reality, what happened was the, the bad guy ran. I shot him in the feet. He kept running, went over, retrieved his buddy somehow, and then came back, got into the FBI car. And I, when I finally peeked around, you know, I was stunned. I'm thinking, holy cow, you know, how can this be? You know, it's only been 10 seconds. To me, it was like magic. You know, they, you know, one second they're running, the next second they're in the, in the car. Okay, but in reality, probably it was probably more like 20, 30 seconds before, <clears throat> before I maneuvered, you know, finally maneuvered. Because, you know, I started, you know, with the fight or flight, uh, <clears throat> you get auditory exclusion, you get tunnel vision, you know, that all that, all, all, all that stuff, you know, that happens. But uh, something, sometimes it, something that people may or may not know is you, get, you also get time distortion. You know, a second could seem, could seem like a minute or a minute could seem like five seconds, you know, so it, it can, it can work both ways. Okay. And then you also get distance distortion. Okay. If you think you're, you're looking at something that's, you know, 10 feet away, it could be 10 yards away or vice versa. You're looking at something 10 yards away, but you think it's 10 feet. So, you know, there's all kinds of different, you know, physiological and psychological stuff that happens in your mind, you know? So. Right. And were they getting in, in Dub and Grogan's car? Yeah, they were. They, they they weren't getting in. By the time I peeked around, they were in the car. Okay. And I'm thinking, holy shit! You know, they're they're in the car. You know, and it became obvious to me by by their actions. Uh, the driver was looking over the steering column, and the passenger was leaning towards the driver, looking at the steering column. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, they're trying to start the car. They're trying to do something. And, to- and if they got the car based on the where it is, it it really can't go forward, right? Or can it go? It can only go backwards, right? It can it can only go back, and to go back runs over three agents. You know, it runs over runs over Ben, uh, Jerry, and and John Hanlon. You know, I thought, saying, hey, you know what? It's not going to happen. I'm not, I, I I can't let this happen. You know, I said because I really didn't know whether whether any of the agents were dead or alive. You know, but and but I knew that one thing: if they if they got run over by a car, they'd be dead. You know, so so I, you know I wasn't going to let that happen. So that's 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 what motivated me to action. Um, did you feel? And at that point too, did you feel like I don't want to say a renewed sense, but did did you get an additional rush of adrenaline or anything that propelled you to do that? Because at this point, I mean, you're obviously fighting a very significant injury. Uh, you're hamstrung because you, you don't have the use of your left arm. You know, there's a lot of like you say, the auditory exclusion, the traumatic amnesia. What when you said that feeling, did it crystallize? Did it clear up things for you in your head? Is like, did everything kind of go away and you had this focus now that this is not going to happen? No, you know what though? That, that that's a good question. You know, and and I've never been asked that question, but that's a very very good question. When I saw them in the car, and it kind of, you know, it was it was a kind of a jump to a conclusion on my end. But I'm thinking, what else can they be doing in the car? You know, they're trying to escape, you know, and, I, and I've gotten into, into discussions with uh, with prosecutors. Well, how did you know that? I said, listen, doofus, you know, what, what the hell else are they going to get in the car for? They're not tuning you know, into the weather channel. Yeah, really. They're not tuning into to the to the oldies but goodies station. You know, their their intent was to escape. 
you know. So at that point, it became crystal clear to me what they were doing. And 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 again, you know, I I, I assessed the situation. The only way they could escape was to back over three agents. And I, I knew right then that I could not let that happen. And I said, okay, I've got the heavy weapon. I, shotguns are pretty heavy weapon compared to a revolver. You know, so I was thinking, hey, I need to start using this heavy weapon and 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 keep them from moving the car. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily a crystallization of action. I was already, I was already pretty motivated. I, excuse my French, but I was pretty fucking pissed at this point in time already. So I I couldn't. There was no place else to go. You know, I, mean, I was already I was already at a hundred percent. You know, so because I was angry that they were that they had wounded me, and I was angry that they had wounded all the other agents. Okay, now interestingly. I was still running on on a high level, well, maybe not so high, but uh, I was still running on adrenaline. But I could sense myself when I was start, when I was back there. I could sense myself starting to starting to like, you know, you get a you get a, an engine that starts sputtering. You know, it's got bad gas or running out of gas or something. I could sense myself kind of starting to sputter because I was like. Uh, Things are, I, I hate to say, you know, because you get tunnel vision from stress, you know, like fight or flight. But then at the same time, I was getting something additional. I, I was actually losing consciousness. Okay, things are, things are starting to get dark around the edges, you know, from like when you pass out. Like, right. you know, maybe you get those like orange much. tunnels or it's like when they do the yeah. lateral vascular neck restraint, you know, training with yeah. you and you get the exactly. blood flow exactly. yeah. 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 Well, I have more experience with, uh, with over drinking, you know, <laughs> 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 passing out. No, no, I'm kidding. You know, I, <laughs> no, you're not. We've all had that no, experience. No, no, I'm not. You know, <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? When people, you know, faint or people pass out or, you know, that type of stuff, you know, it, it you kind of feel the world like shrinking and it just starts, get, it starts getting darker from the edges. Okay, and I started experiencing that, you know, in addition to the tunnel vision. Okay, so I knew I knew that you know things were getting a little tight on time, you know. So I'm thinking, I, I you know, it's kind of motivated me to, to to act, you know. So, so, uh, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, I need to use the shotgun. How the hell am I going to use a shotgun and be accurate with only one hand, you know? And as I brought the shotgun up like this to aim at the subjects, you know, and and I had to turn my body in such a fashion that I I, I could I could aim it. Okay, because I'm sitting with my back to to the car. I'm sitting at a, at a total. I'm facing 180 degrees away from the, from the subjects. Okay, totally. So I had to turn to my left 180 degrees to face them. Okay, so I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to fire this weapon accurately? And I'm thinking, you know what? As I'm looking at the, it just hit me. I said, hey, this bumper has a lip on it. You know, it has it has a little lip on it. You know, it, it extends away from the car, uh, uh, the the car body. I'm thinking that's perfect. I'll just lay the shotgun down on top of this lip. It'll steady the forend, and I I can work the you know I can work the 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 trigger and and the rear side back here. You know, and it just it was kind of like magic. I mean, you know, I I really didn't plan it that way, but I'm I mean I. I was planning and not planning. In other words, my, my brain was going through a cycle of, you know, options. Okay, well, how do you make this work? What about this? What about that? It was working like literally 100 miles a second. <clears throat> and then when I saw this, something, the bingo. It, it As soon as I saw it, you know, it, I said, that, that'll work. Okay, so I, I didn't even ponder it. Didn't even, you know, analyze. as soon as I saw it, I said, that's it. I laid the shotgun, the end of the shotgun on the lip you know, had my hand on the trigger guard and I'm working the sights 
And then I just, I thought I had a good size picture and I fired, boom, you know, and of course, uh, what I recall being my first shot missed, you know, it hit the fender, uh, the left side fender by the driver's door. <clears throat> and a funny thing happened, you know, when I fired the shotgun one-handed, the recoil pushed me back, you know, like most, most shotguns would do it. The recoil pushed me back and I'm thinking, Hey, you know what? I'll just keep going with this. You know, I just, I just let the, let the recoil. And I, then I, I, halfway through the recoil, I just actually made a physical effort to turn my body back into the sitting position with my back against the, the, the bumper. Had the shotgun in my right hand. And I'm thinking, you know what? I let the shotgun slide through my hand, and it hit the ground. And I had my uh, had my knees up, uh, and and my my feet my feet were planted on the ground with my knees up for 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 steady for to keep myself steady. <clears throat> so I figured, hey, you know what? Let the shotgun slide through my hand, and then I'll use my thighs to pinch the shotgun, move my hand up to the forehand, rack the action, go back down to the trigger guard, turn back to my left. <laughs> And place the shotgun on the lip of the gun, on the lip of the bumper again, and fire. And it, it just became it became so natural, so routine at that point. And it was like, like I'd been doing this all my life, you know. So, but that just shows you survival instincts, you know, survival, survival, survival. You're always looking for an option, you know. So, uh, had you ever practiced? The, I was going to say, have you, had, did you ever practice that in the academy? One armed reloading with a shotgun. I know they do it with a revolver or pistol sometimes. You know what? I've been asked that question a, a, a thousand times, you know, and no, never, never have, you know. And they said, hey, have you ever practiced, practiced it on your own? No. Have you ever seen it in the movie? No. <laughs> it, just, it was just one of those things, you know, it's like, uh, just happens. you know, we're, yeah, it, 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 perseverance, you know, you're always, you're looking for options, you know. I mean, don't, don't curl up into a fetal position and, and say, well, it was me. You, you're, you got to look for, for options, fight. you know. Stay in that fight. Exactly. Exactly. So <clears throat> then I expended my, 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 my five rounds, you know, and I, uh, the, the third shot was dead center. It hit the, uh, the driver's side window, you know, and I thought, man, this is a great shot, man. I thought, man, 12 pellets hit the, hit the, the driver in, in the, in the head and neck, you know, and chest. <clears throat> and then I fired two rounds at the passenger, you know, so, um, I thought the fight was over, you know, so, um, that's let's let's go back to that because that's that's the key part of this i mean you fired the shotgun but it's really i want people to understand when you got done with that that's when you drew your service weapon your revolver correct and let's let's walk through that part but i know there there was a (laughs) i don't know what to call it i guess there was a come to jesus talk (laughs) between the shotgun you know going empty and and my my drawing the revolver because I mean it, it, you could almost write a whole book chapter on that you know um, at that point you you mentioned you know hey listen you know stay focused stay focused at that point you know it became really obvious that I was running out of steam I was running out of gas because now not only was was it getting dark you know around the edges I was actually losing consciousness okay I was actually my head was actually falling down on my chest you know my 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 chin would actually hit my chest like this, and I, I was losing consciousness. And when my, my chin hit my chest, I would, it would jerk me up, and it would startle me, and I'd shake my head to, to stay awake. You know, I'm thinking, hey, I can't fall asleep at this point, you know. So I, I, knew, I knew two things were, were going on. Number one, I was either passing out or, or I was dying, 
one of the two, and I think I think they were both related. Passing out the die, I think is what's, what was going to happen, you know. So so that scared the heck out of me. I got to be honest with you guys. It really, it scared the shit out of me, really, because uh, you know, because I kept falling. I mean, my, my my I made a conscious effort not to let it happen, but it was happening. You know, I had <clears throat> I had no control over it. I, my, my you know, I mean, you're you're looking straight up like this, and then all of a sudden you 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 feel your chin hit your chest. And that's when you startle awake. You go, oh, my God, you know. <clears throat> so I'm thinking, man, I'm dying. So um, that's when I, that's the, that's the only time I took my attention off the threat. And I, I yelled at the agents across the street, uh, Gil Arante and Ron Reisner. I said, it's okay. Come on over. Come on over. And <laughs> they yelled at me, you know, stay down, stay down. And I think, oh, crap. I said, they don't know the gunfight's over. I said, I'm the only one that knows the gunfight's over. Okay, so <clears throat> so I'm thinking, that we, we, that, that's when it really hit me. I said, we are going to die. Okay, because I looked north and I looked south, and I saw the police had set up a, a perimeter. Okay, and there were ambulances and fire engines and, and you know, cops were left and right. There must have been 30 <clears throat> 30 ambulances and fire engines in the area and not one of them was coming into to, to the hot zone because they didn't know the gunfight was over i'm the only one that knew the gunfight was over and then the agents uh, my, my, my squad mates were yelling stay down stay down and i knew they didn't know the gunfight was over so um i'm thinking you know what you know and that's when i it's kind of personal but i had a discussion with god i said god <laughs> you know kind of like the movie and the part in the Godfather, hey, can you, get, hey, Sully, can you get me out of this for old time's sake? You know, <laughs> no can do, no can do. You know, so I, I'm actually talking to God. I say, hey, God, you know, it, it's just a way it's going to end. You know, and I'm thinking, you know what? I came to the conclusion that, yeah, I was going to die. And it's amazing. Uh, at that point in time, I, I lost all fear, you know, because when you accept death, you know, it's kind of like the five stages of death, you know, that you can read about, you know, uh, denial, anger, uh, uh, bargaining, depression, acceptance, you know. I went through those five stages except depression, you know, like in, in, in the span of like a second, okay. I mean, I, I was angry, I denied, I bargained, you know, and, and it's like, hey, I, I, I got to acceptance, you know, and when I, when I got to that stage, it was amazing. I was no longer afraid, no longer fearful, you know, it's like, hey, okay, I'm going to die. But yet, at the back of my mind, I still had the, the survival instinct. I'm thinking, you know what? If I'm going to die, I'm going to take those two bastards with me. Damn right. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make sure that if I was dead, I, want, I wanted to make sure they were dead. Kind of like it's, a, it, it's, a, it's in the Bible. It's a Christian thing. I think and it's Ecclesiastes 9.12 or something like that. If I'm going to die, I want to make sure they, they, they go with me. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously that's not in the Bible. but, but <laughs> That's what's on your but, mind. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we've that just renamed it to Morales nine twelve, um, so <laughs> four eleven. So, <laughs> so uh, at that point, you know, I'm still. I was. I came to the conclusion that I was going to die. I was no longer fearful, but at the same time, I wanted to live. You know, so. Um, and while I'm saying all this, you know, in the interim, when I'm has, was focused away from the threat, a witness across the street, Sidney Martin, saw the driver Platt get out of the car. Walked to within eight feet of my position and with his left hand fired three shots at me from his revolver <clears throat> and missed me. 
Now, uh, with the auditory exclusion, you know, my my ears ringing, I never heard it. But did you see him, though? No, I didn't see him because I was, I was facing towards the edges across the street. Okay, McNeil, who was in the street paralyzed, heard the shots, and Sidney Martin across the street saw the the the, uh, the bank robber get out of the car and and do what what he said he did. You know, fired some shots at me. So I, you know, the guy was still around. You know, the guy was still active. So I decided, hey, the only way we're going to get help is for me to stand up and show everybody that it's it's safe. It's a safe zone. <clears throat> so I stood up, but I wasn't stupid either. Um, I might have been desperate, but not stupid, you know. So I stood up and I brought my, my brought my revolver up, you know, in front of me, and I, I'm assessing. I'm looking at at the threat, and then that's when I start moving towards the threat, firing one one shot at a time. I'd fire. I'd take two steps forward, set my position, fire, and I did that for six times, you know, until I got to the uh, the car door. And um, I, out of the five shots that I fired, out of the six shots that I fired from my revolver. Uh, five shots hit the subjects. I missed one, the first shot uh, from the get-go, you know. So, and um, the sh- my last shot was into into the driver that hit him in the upper chest and hit him in the spinal cord up around his neck area, and that paralyzed him uh, at that point. I hope in time, the son of a bitch died slowly. Sorry, uh, that's well, my. He- <laughs> well, I-, I think he did. I think he did die slowly because. Um, that that hit paralyzed him, and the gunfight was over. That's when all that's when all the world came in to assist, you know, because they said, okay, you know, he's standing up, you know, so it must be relatively safe. So they went in, and when the uh, the the passenger was dead in the car, the driver, when they pulled him out, was still breathing, and they pulled him out, and medics actually tried to work on him, and, but he expired on the on the ground, you know. So, <clears throat> and that's pretty much the end of the gunfight, you know. So. But but then what happened to you? Oh, you know what? After after I finished shooting, you know, the uh, agent Arantia and Reiser came up came up to reinforce me. Uh, one on one on one side, one on the other side. They told me, "Hey Ed, it's over. Put your gun away." Okay, so it's funny. I took my revolver, and, and I, I, I tell people training, training, training. I host hosted my revolver, and then I snapped my holster shut. Okay, <laughs> all that training, and then I took about. Uh, I, I kind of stumbled back about six paces, and then I collapsed almost to at the spot where I had started behind the car with the shotgun. Okay, and and at that point in time, I I just I, I just ran out of ran out of gas, you know, just boom down. And I thought at that point that I really, you know, was done. I mean, it's like I had already accepted, you know, that I was going to die, you know. So that's when the medics, you know, started showing up. They started attending me and stuff like that. They gave me a shot and it was like, whoa, that was good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll take a double. I'll I'll tell you what, too. If you want to, if you want some goose, additional goosebumps, too, Murph, I pulled up out of the FBI vault the records, but it's the inspector's uh, report on this. And they went Uh back and they did a transcription of the radio traffic that morning. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like exactly like you said. There it is. Um, When they were talking about, they were looking at it, uh, there was a little bit of joking going around. And then it says, hey, attention, all units, we're behind a black vehicle, two-door Florida license, NTJ891. NTJ we're headed south on South Dixie, or north on South Dixie is what he said. And and you just see Steph go from there. They talk about shots, two agents down, 
agents down. We need help getting the location right. Was this is the heat of battle, right? Stuff goes on. Yeah. It's trying to get the location right was a challenge to get additional help there. Well, you, you know what? You know what? That's an interesting little sidebar on the location because the agents, uh, when they were calling calling for 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 backup. They looked at the sign, and somebody, some of the neighborhood yahoos or hoodlums or whatever, had had uh, damaged the, the street sign, and they were giving a uh, hundred. We were at a hundred and twenty second Street, you know, one hundred twenty second one two two zero one one two two zero one Southwest. Um, 82nd Avenue. <clears throat> Someone had damaged the sign, and and the agent he was reading right straight off the sign. He was giving it, he was giving it as one two zero one Southwest 82nd Avenue. So they said, you know, they kept telling him that can't be. You cannot be at that location, you know. And he said, I'm looking at the sign, you know. <laughs> I'm looking at the street. It's, and, and then he goes over and on the other side of the sign. He goes, oh, sorry, sorry. He said, someone someone changed the sign, you know. Someone someone altered the sign. It's 12201. Okay, that's when he got the right location. But he was actually looking at, at, a, at a street sign that had been damaged, you know. So it's like, what the heck, you know. So, so from the time that, uh, I mean, we, we just listen. Uh, holy cow. We just listened to you about 25 minutes describing what happened. In reality, from the time you arrived until the two bad guys were down, how much time expired do you think? Okay, well, let, let me take a step back real quick because I always, I always want to make a point of telling people to say, hey, from the time Ben Grogan said, attention all units, until he said, felony car stop. That's three minutes. Three minutes expired. And, and I make a point of, you know, especially like with FBI classes, you know, I say, hey, you can't do anything anymore without having an ops plan. Okay. I think maybe DEA is the same way now. I'm not, I'm not sure. You got to have an ops plan, you know, you got all kinds of stuff. You know, it's like, I said, guys, I challenge you. I want you to do an ops plan in three minutes. While you're driving. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I challenge you. Yeah, you know, okay. you don't know what you're getting into at that point. Exactly, right? You know, I mean, because, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop the game to run back to an office or pull off to the side and come up with an ops plan? No, you're just going to, you're just going to operate, you know? And, and that's, that's what we were faced with, you know? I mean, plus, you know, in the eighties, it was a different, it was a different era, you know, you, yeah. you know, you guys yeah. know that, you know? I, I want to ask you about one thing about this inspection. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to get, get the answer to that question from when right. you arrived. From when Ben said felony car stop, you know, and then when when we crashed the car, okay, it's estimated, and again, you know, in the spirit of full disclosure, you know, it's estimated that it, the shooting went on for five minutes, okay, and that is close, but I I I doubt it was a full five minutes of shooting. It was it definitely four minutes, okay, and maybe four and a half minutes, okay, so. But it, it, nobody really knows it because you know once once the shit hit the fan, you know you you, you don't have a shit meter. You're, you're focused. You're focused on surviving. You know so. absolutely. And and that's and the reason I wanted to bring that out is because I mean it took us 25 minutes. I mean it took you 25 minutes to describe it because you really went into a lot of detail. But that shows you how quickly your brain is processing all this information. You know, I mean, you know, you're saying it, it's taken me 
a minute to think of this, but it's actually a, like split seconds because you're just moving and moving. And oh moving. no, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and 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 in all fairness, guys, and I, I've glossed over some 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 parts. I mean, I, I could have gone another half hour. You know, if you want to get into the real intricate details of, of everything, you know. But you know, we don't. I don't want to bore your audience. You know, so no, it's not boring. Yeah, I, I think for what we covered, though, I mean, it's just like for. For us, when you're teaching, there's a lot of instructional value, but I think for us, the value in this is for people to understand the types of things we expect out of ordinary people that go into law enforcement that do extraordinary things. How easy would it have been for you to stay behind your car across the street and not advance to help out your brothers? Oh, it would have been would have been real easy, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but then but, you'd have been a coward, and that's but, not why you took. Oh no, ex- exactly. That would have been, you know. But the, <laughs> I tell people, I say, hey, what would you have done different? I said, well, it, it would have been a couple of things that I would have done different. The first one was not get shot, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, that's a, <laughs> you know, that's a big. The bad guys, the bad guys get a vote on some of that stuff. <laughs> no, no yeah, kidding. No, no. But, but all kidding aside, the first thing I would have done is instead of loading with. Uh, uh, we had we carried uh, twelve pellet double out magnum shotgun rounds. I would have switched those out for slugs. Yeah. Okay. Just gone straight to slugs, and instead of going around to the left to help Gordon McNeil, I would have gone. You had Ben Grogan and Jerry Dub on the far right hand side of the scene, and then Gordon McNeil on the far left hand side of the scene. Uh, this is twenty twenty hindsight, mind you. Absolutely. Uh, I would have gone right in between both positions, closer to the rear end of the Monte Carlo, okay, from the rear, the, the left rear side. And with the rifle slugs, I just would have picked them off with headshots. Boom. But you that know? would have been through tinted windows also, right? That would have been that would have been through some windows, yeah, you know. But again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, because at some point in time, the tenant windows just disappeared. All the glass in the windows just crashed, right. you know, so. So, um, so but, I, and, I mean, that's wishful thinking, though, so. Before you guys, uh, like when I was in Academy in, in 87, I was there from June to September 87. And not only did we have the agent enrichment night where we got to hear the all full details, we also were watching as they were creating a reenactment there in front of, uh, in front of the administration building for the FBI Academy. Now, were you there during all that, or were you still in recuperation? I was. I, I, I was. Uh, I was transferred into Quantico in nineteen. I reported to Quantico in April of nineteen eighty-seven as an instructor, and then they did the reenactment in nineteen eighty-eight. Okay, so and I was there for for that reenactment. Yeah, and since that, uh, this going to sound kind of like a stupid question, but. If you've been through shootings, how many times have you relived this? Not not your speaking events, but I mean, just you know. No, no, I, I know, you know, and and that that's that that's a good question. That's an excellent question because that that falls into PTSD. Yes, it does. Okay, and the thing is, you know, I mean, initially after the, after the shooting, I mean, you can't help but relive it. Right. Okay, that's called uh, flashback, or uh, yeah, flashback, or. Uh, yeah, I think it's called flashback. It's it's like a movie in your head. You you can't you can't stop it. Okay, and uh, that's normal to a point, you know. But but if you start continuing that, um, if you still continue to experience that, then you then you have some problems. Okay, because it was so annoying. Okay, every waking moment 
that that I wasn't focused on on something. If if I just like stopped and and kind of looked down and not focused on anything, I would the movie would start in my head. It would just stop, you know, and I could not control it. And uh, eventually, it all goes away. I mean, you know, you, you talk, you know, we. I talked to my wife, who's an agent, and then I talked to uh, some some of the squad agents, and then I t- and then talked to the, the uh, we had squad bowl sessions, you know, and stuff. So um, it 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 helped to talk to, to the squad mates, but uh, at some point in time, you know, if you start having if you start continuing to have these uh, reactions, and you need to seek some psychological help, you know, there's normal normal stuff like you know, loud noises which was would scare me, startle me. It's like, it's kind of like a jerk reaction, you know, um, lack of sleep. But see, uh, I had a lack of sleep because of my injury. I mean, I had my arm in a sling and I had to have my arm elevated above my, my, uh, my heart for God, 14 months. Cause my arm, my arm was so shattered. I couldn't, I didn't sleep, uh, worth a bowl of beans for like, a year and a half, you know, because I, I had to have, you know, I, I, I had to sleep on my back because uh, the pole holding up my arm had to be on the, on the left side of the bed. You know, I had to sleep like this, you know, it was just like, it was horrible, you know, so. It, it was, uh, and, and, and I think the answer to that, how many times you relive it is, is infinite because it just, you know, my partner was shot in 89 there in Miami and Hialeah. And it's funny because he and I never, I mean, we've been friends since then, you know, very close friends. And uh, we never discussed the shooting until we had him on this show last year and went through all the details. The um, and, and back then, you know, they said people would come say you need to go get counseling, but there was no follow up. And, you know, I'd, I'd already been a cop for 12 years before DEA. And I thought I'm a tough guy. I don't need counseling. Yeah. Well, see, you know, it's it's a culture. It's a culture. It yeah. But you know what, though? The, sometimes, you know, you you. You you kind of know who needs counseling, and 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 you know who who's going to be okay, you know. But you know, I mean, but in all sincerity, you know, Gordon McNeil said it best. He said, "Hey, yeah, you know what? Though we came through this, you know, pretty good." He said, "But the question is, how are you going to react the next time it happens?" And that's the answer that nobody knows. You know, you think you think you know, hey, you know, I'm Joe shit the rag man. I'm going to react like a, I'm going to react like John Wayne. But it's man, you can never be sure. You can never exactly be sure what's right. going to happen. You know, and I mean, we I, we got to say this. Um, just asking you to come on here and relive this. And I know you're doing it professionally and you're doing it for the right reasons. But I mean, what a, you know, real honor for us to have you on the show here to and ask you to go back and relive all this horror again. Because how many people go through this in life? Not many at all. Well, and in the FBI, the annals of the FBI, this was one of their worst days ever, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, definitely. But you know what, though, guys, you know, in, in all, in all, uh, in all honesty, you know what, I, I, um, I'm honored that you asked me to to participate with with you guys here today. But you know, I, I do this. Uh, you know, let's be honest, honest, honest. Okay, I don't do this for my benefit. <laughs> okay, right. Right. because it it is bringing up you know a traumatic incident in my life. You know, but I do this for for several good reasons. You know, number one, this is a story about Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove, okay? This is their story, okay? It's not my story, okay? They're the ones that, there was a line in, in the dirt, uh, you know, from which they, they did not step back, okay? They they were on the line, and 
And I know for a fact that Ben and Jerry were facing withering gunfire because he is uh, the, the the assault rifle laid down suppression fire on their position, and they never stepped back. Okay, and they paid the price. They paid the ultimate price. You know, so so that that's and I always want to make sure that people understand that you know they're the heroes you know I just happened to have showed up that day <laughs> you know but they're the real heroes okay and then secondly another important point is that we have learned so many lessons you know and we have come so far from you know uh the selection of weapons systems going from revolvers to semi-automatic pistols, going from shotguns to, I don't know about the, the DEA, um, the, um, we've gone to, uh, uh, any, any agent can, can purchase his own AR-15. And the, the FBI started issuing uh, MP5, semi-automatic MP5. I, I think uh, DEA went to st- the sub-guns. You know, yeah, we, the, had, the, we had Colt create the submachine yeah. gun. And now, Th- now you know what? I, I, I really like those guns better than the MP5s, really. I love I wish we could have had those. The MP5, you know, that was just an expensive toy, really, honest yeah. to me. They are kind you of know, cool, but, uh, though. <laughs> oh, they are very cool, you know. No, but but the thing is, you know, it, it, we've changed uh, weapons. We've changed, you know, we've studied ballistics. We've studied wound ballistics. We've studied, you know. you know, you use? Ammo. We've studied tactics, but you know what? Though it's something that 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 you can't really put a uh, you can't put a label on it, or you can't identify it so so easily. Is what what gives people the will to survive? Okay, I I can't give you the will to survive. You can't give it to me. That has to come from one person and one person only. It has to come from you. Okay, and. All I can do is is uh, is talk to you and give you examples, and and departments can give you training, and they can give you guns, and they can give you ammo, or they can give you cars, but only you, the individual officer or individual citizen, can give yourself the will to survive. You have got to want to survive. You have got to want to fight to save your life. You know, and that's the important part. You know. You know, that's why I do it, you know, especially for law enforcement. I, I do it say, hey, lessons learned. You know, there are there were some good lessons learned. And, uh, and you know, I'm here to, to, to share them with you. You know, so it's about Ben and Jerry, and it's about, you know, helping uh, current and, and future law enforcement officers. You know, that, that's why I do it, you know. so And to, you know, to all the law enforcement partners out there that are listening, um, this is a perfect example of finding out that these two turds were out there Firing 5,000 rounds practicing. Now, if you're still on the job, are you out there practicing that much? Are you getting in shape? Are you ready physically and mentally and operationally to encounter a situation like this? Yeah, because if you're not Murph, like you said, somebody out there is. Somebody out there is yep. training for that day that they encounter you. Bad guys always train. Yep, and and, and that's you see, we, we uh, I think we as law enforcement professionals sometimes we discount we discount bad guys training, but I tell you what, there's been a lot of documented incidents. People people see some stuff going on. And like when I was in, assigned to the Tucson office, we used to get reports of people practicing in the desert. It's like, who are these people? Well, we don't know. They weren't cops. You know who else yeah. practices? <laughs> prisoners. They've got gang intelligence video of prisoners practicing disarming people from handcuffing positions. They're practicing, exactly. you know, all of those exactly. things, right? So again, if you're not there, hey, Jerry, let's, I mean, Ed, um, Let's talk real quick uh, about just your recovery. 
you know, from that day until the time you went back on duty, how long are you out of action? Ooh, wow. Um, I was in the hospital for th- two or three weeks and I was home for a year and I was going batshit crazy. So I, I begged the office to let me back into the office to do something administratively, something, you know, I, I, I was sitting home, you know, just going, you know, berserko, you know? So I, I became the night duty supervisor, uh, from four to midnight, just answering phones in the office, you know, which was good. You know, it, it gave, it gave the office a break, you know, it, wasting, wasting an agent, uh, agent's time, you know, so, but, uh, <clears throat> I had, uh, five major surgeries and then uh, three minor surgeries to reconstruct my arm and from the from the day of the incident until i was fully released back on duty it was 27 months i was on i was on limited duty for 27 months you know until uh, until like uh god it was like 87 uh sometime in the um uh i'm sorry it was like no it was like 80 88 Sometimes, uh, sometime in the '88, that I, I was released back to full duty. And how are you doing today, long term? Well, I have a, I have a fifty percent disability to the left arm. You know, it, it, my arm obviously will never be the same. You know, I, it, it's attached because you know what? Though when I went, when I got to the hospital and my my wife got to the hospital about five minutes after I did because she was uh, working on, on a different case and. Um, they, they talked to my wife, you know, uh, outside of the emergency room. They said, okay, here's our options, you know. We can amputate his arm now or we can amputate his arms after the weekend, you know, if you want to wait. It's like, what the heck? So she came back and told me, you know, she said, hey, Ed, you know, they don't think they can save your arm. You know, they said uh, they said that they, they want to amputate. And I'm thinking, that's her option? I said, can't they? I mean, isn't there anything they can do? They said, well, they said they said they can wait through the weekend because the the problem was, you know, that the, if there was no blood flow to my hand, they said we can't we can't save your arm, you know. So they said we can we can keep it we can we can clean out the wound we can put it in such a manner that it'll be like stretched out so that it's not collapsed on itself like a snake, you know, like a snake curled up, you know. So uh, uh, they said, hey, we can go through the weekend, and if, if you have circulation in the hand, then we might be able to do some reconstructive surgery, but we can't guarantee you anything. It's all It all depends. If he has no circulation in the hand, that's a mood point. You know, it's, it's dead meat, bottom line. It's just a dead piece of meat, you know, so we'll just amputate, the, you know, otherwise you'll get gangrene or whatever. So, so, uh, I was so lucky, you know, that, um, I, I, I still had circulation in the arm and then they went back and, and on Monday, uh, after the shooting, they did some reconstructive surgery and, and kind of stabilized the arm. And, um, uh, then like three days later, they went back and they, they did the full reconstruction. They took my right hip and they, they did a bone graft on, on my left arm, you know, and then I got, I've got some rods and pins and needles and stuff, you know, in there. So it was a long road back. It really was, you know, so, um, you know, my partner, I, they, just, they took uh, bone grass off his hip also to reconstruct his right arm. He was right-handed. <laughs> Afterwards, he said that hurt him more than the getting shot twice in the arm ever did. <laughs> you know what? That is funny. I said the same thing to Liz. You know, I said, you know what, Liz? That fr- 
the freaking harvesting a bone from my hip hurt worse yeah. than getting shot. And I'm thinking, God almighty. Uh, exactly. That's what I asked the same question. How is that possible? You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, let's kind of close up by talking about just a couple of things, though, too, is um, one of the things that happen is, uh, and I know you're going to demure, you're, you're going to say you're not the hero. I think we get a vote on that, though. Jerry yeah. and Ben were, um, but you were honored for your actions that day. And I believe you were honored with the highest award the FBI has ever issued. Is that right? Yeah. You know what though? It, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about. Uh, you don't have to be embarrassed. Um, you just, you're on the stand. It's a yes or no answer. So agent, <laughs> <laughs> yes or no, is that this? Um, well, it, it would have to be a yes, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, there's some history behind that, you know, the, the FBI never had really, never had an awards, uh, uh, program, you know, Probably like most agencies at the time, you know, like I know some, some police departments have, have medals and stuff like that for their uniforms and stuff, you know, but we don't wear uniforms. So there were never any, any medals, but, uh, I had the honor of being awarded the, the very first FBI medal of honor As ever, ever, been. ever issued, you know, Absolutely. so, um, and uh, I was very, very much, uh, you know, honored by that you know so um, yeah congratulations it was it's a shame you had to go through that to get it but congratulations well, for being recognized but your old hometown didn't forget you either your old area down there they named a criminal <laughs> justice academy after you as well yeah that was pretty cool i i got a call out of the blue one one day in, my, in the office you know and they said hey you know I, I forget the gentleman's name gosh i'm terrible with names but he said hey you know i'm the city council blah 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 and say hey um there used to be a navy base in my hometown that my dad worked at and that that was closed and the, and the navy gave the property back to the to the state so the state said hey you know what we, we um want to put it to good use so they they put a um uh uh, correctional facility in in the area so they said uh <clears throat> they gave they called me to give me an option they said hey we want to name a building after you and i said oh really so they said hey you have two choices you can we can name the uh the uh, and i'm not familiar with with prisons you know and like they could they can name the 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 actual jail itself the uh, the 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 building what do they call oh, it yeah, the, like um, the unit or the the block or yeah the unit yeah. yeah yeah they they could name the unit after me or they could name the training academy which was going to be located that's a, come at on, that location. Well, that's a no-brainer <laughs> easy to <decision. laughs> that's what i told them i said that's a no-brainer you know i said why why would i want a unit named after me i said hey i'll take the training academy however in retrospect and hindsight the the unit is humongous i mean it's like it looks like the pentagon just yeah, about but you know, know you're gonna get if, if that had happened everybody would have said where's that damn ed morales he's the reason i'm in prison they even named <laughs> it after him <laughs> exactly but see and then the, and then the training academy like most in training academies you know it's scattered over several buildings you know, you, you got the, you know, you got the administrative building, you got the classroom buildings, you got the, you got that building, you got, the, so it's kind of like helter skelter scatter, you know? So I said, eh, what the heck, you know, but there, there's a big, there's a big, um, sign, a sign is not, not the right word. It's, it's like a big, like a big plaque. No, it's bigger than a plaque. You know, it's almost like, like someone took, it's like huge welded, you know, 10 foot tall, like uh seal, of the uh, the criminal justice uh, department, with this says at Mondo Morales, uh, you know, training academy in Beeville, Texas, or something like that. Now that's pretty cool. You know, that is well, pretty cool. You know? Everything's bigger in Texas, right? Absolutely. You know, so. 
But did you get uh, the same year you were shot? You got an award also, didn't you? Oh, I got a couple guys. I was selected as the um, 1986 uh, Police Officer of the Year by the IACP, uh, International Association of Chief of Police. That's and then deal. I got the uh, Attorney General, uh, the U.S. Attorney General Award for Heroism, you know, by um, uh, Ed Meese, you know, at the time. I had the honor. Uh, I used to, when I got out law enforcement, I was uh, in the private sector, but I, at, at a couple different companies, I had the honor to sponsor at the highest level, which uh, allowed us to pick an award to sponsor. And I went from the Community Policing Award with one company to International Police Officer of the Year. And the first guy I got to help be there when it was with uh, Janet Napolitano was DHS Secretary. She was there, but uh, we had him on. Uh, Murphy was episode eight. Mike Neal, he was the Arkansas. Uh, fish and yeah. game warden that got into the shootout with the uh, West Memphis, uh, the, where the two West Memphis police officers were killed by two sovereign citizens, a father and son. And mm-hmm. that was, uh, th- you talk about just intense stuff. So, I mean, it's a high honor to be there when real heroes like you come up there, because you know why? Two things I've noticed. Number one, you never take full credit for what you did because you're always, I don't know if sometimes people say it's survivor's guilt or they felt bad, you know, why them and not me, but the other two, you always, the thing I've always heard to say, is said the real heroes are always the other people. And that's two yeah. things always in common with guys like you who talk. Well, Absolutely. thanks guys. So, you know what, Eddie, I truly honor, man, I take my hat off to you. Uh, we do want to uh, mention one more time that we've dedicated today's episodes to FBI special agents, Jerry Dove and Ben Grogan, um, who made the ultimate sacrifice for the people in our country and the people of South Florida. So God bless you guys, man. God bless you. Yeah, and again, in to watch uh, April 11th, 1986. You can find their stories written up on the Officer Down Memorial page, odmp.org. Some great stuff. But we want to finish up with one thing because I do have it pulled up here. Ed, FBI Miami firefight, five minutes that changed the Bureau. Uh, and you wrote it uh, with your wife. So does that mean she's the smart one? Well, she's always <laughs> been the smart one. You know? No, honest to God, I, if I could tell a real quick story, you know, people used to call the office in the in 85, you know, say, hey, uh, say, I want to speak to Agent Morellis. The reception, the telephone receptionist would say, which one, the smart one or the other one? <laughs> You gotta love it. I tell you. Well, it, it's a great. I mean, just read the inscription about it. And actually, let me just read it just real quick, just from the cover. It says FBI Miami firefight five minutes that changed the bureau. If you have the chance to choose between living and dying, which would you choose? On April 11th, 1986, in Miami, Florida, eight FBI agents and two murderous bank robbers engaged in a five-minute gunfight. There were over 150 shots fired during the incident. In the end, nine out of the 10 participants were shot. The two bank robbers were dead, as well as two FBI agents. Five other agents were wounded, including FBI Special Agent Ed Morales, who was shot twice. This changed law enforcement training, equipment, and tactics throughout the U.S. The incident is known as the FBI Miami firefight. Um, and it has been, I mean, it, it's been the subject of, I think, three separate things on television. Um, obviously, lots of training that's gone on. And the other place you can find Ed is Ed Morellis, M-I-R-E-L-E-S, edmorellis.com. And you, you, uh, so what's keeping you busy this day? I know you're doing some training, some talking, some speaking. Um, well, th- that's, that's pretty much it. You know, uh, that's what I, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking to try to, to try to 
uh, spread the word, you know. But man, I tell you what, like everybody else, COVID just crushed my business, you know. I mean, in 2020, 2021, I, it was everything was closed down, you know. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to kick back up, you know, see see if things can start. So going if up you're again, listening so. out there, you're listening, and you work for a big corporation, or you got somebody who can write a check, edmorellis.com. <laughs> Yep. Make sure the check uh, is good. Remember, Ed's been through this before. Make sure the check is good <laughs> or cash. At, at least you can do is, is get a copy yeah. of his book and read about what he went through. I mean, well, and I, that, that will end up on our website. It's to be on our book list page in a place of honor. So, you know, Murph, I got to count in that when we put, uh, uh, we put um, uh, some of our last uh, books up there, Michael mm-hmm. Hearns, uh, some others. We have had, I mean, it's almost, it's weird, but out of the 87 episodes we have, I think we're close to 50 books. Wow. 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 Yeah. Every, it's amazing how many phone calls I get from uh, retired police officers saying, hey, can I pick your brain about writing a book? You can. It's going you know, to take me about 15 well, seconds to give you all the knowledge I know. <laughs> Son, that's called fishing in a dry hole. <laughs> that's right. But I can point you to the right people. But, oh, but we're going to put shout true. outs up there for you. So, guys, go go get the book, uh, FBI Miami Firefight, Five Minutes That Changed the Bureau, edmorellis.com. And just follow him and give him a shout out and uh, tell us what you think about this. So this is me. People can't see this, but Special Agent Ed Morellis, this is me saluting you. Thank you for serving Same our country. Thank you for doing what you did, um, and thank you for honoring the memory of uh, uh, both special agents, and we, we just want to remember them. Oh, well, th- thank you guys again so much for the invitation. It's, it's been a pleasure. Right. God, thank bless, you. God bless. You guys don't go anywhere. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Like I said, if this does not get your blood pumping, that back give you goosebumps and stuff, you need to seek medical attention right away. I mean, 10 people involved, mm-hmm. eight wounded, uh, actually seven or six wounded, uh, four dead, two FBI agents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two pieces of shit. We don't even want to give them, you know, their right. names, but right. um, just... Steve, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, how this guy walked through the fire. Yep. You took and the literal right fire. Out my mouth. I, I, in fact, I'm glad you said that because I was getting ready to say, I don't even know what to say about this. One of the most heroic acts I've ever heard of, man shot through the through his gun hand and is, is trying to shoot or shot through his left hand and he's been shot in the side of the head and still has the faculties, even though he's losing consciousness. He has the faculties to take out the bad guys, to protect the other people that were there. Just unbelievable, unbelievable stories of heroism. And and I know Eddie's told this story other places. You heard that I was at the DE Academy when they did the reenactment, and we got to hear the the lead Miami-Dade investigator come and, and uh, lay out. He laid out diagrams and everything on the big screen on, a, on one night there at the Academy. Just, um, man, Eddie and the guys with him are the reasons – that people like us go into law enforcement. It's just, it keeps you motivated. It makes you proud. Um, I was talking to another uh, police officer just a few minutes before we started this recording uh, who's been wounded. He'll be coming up soon uh, soon here in a couple more weeks. Uh, And I told him, I said, you know what? Just because we retire, it doesn't mean our oaths ever expire. And Eddie is continuing to get the word out there. They changed tactics. They changed weapons. They changed policies and procedures all because of that one incident. So 
even though it cost them two agents' lives and, and all those other agents wounded, something positive came out of it. It probably saved a lot more lives in the future. And again, we want to dedicate this to a special FBI special agents, Jerry Dove and Ben Grogan. Absolutely. Gave their lives in the line of duty April 11th, 1986. God bless them um, and their families. And dude, you know, we, we joke around. We said we, we made no FBI jokes this one because, uh, I mean— you know, we, he still would have been okay with it, but it's like, you know, anytime you talk about the ultimate sacrifice, there is a level of respect and honor you give everybody, regardless of what they look like, how they grew up. It doesn't matter. You wear the badge, you bleed blue. Um, yep. we're there. We're all the you. brothers and sisters. Yep. Oh, I, I just, Ooh, I like know. you, I just, we are, we've already done the interview. We've already recorded this and even doing the outro, which is a canned thing. I mean, we've already done the interview. Mm-hmm. I still get goosebumps from this and I still get pissed off too. You know, yeah. I just, but man, um, to hear his story, uh, it literally just to hear his story and think about he was knocked down, he got back up, didn't have the use of his left arm. He stayed in the fight. He figured out how to rack the rounds into that shotgun. And when he ran out of that, he went to a service weapon and he, he put an end to the fight. And you won't hear me admit this very often, but because <laughs> we like to pick on our FBI brothers and sisters, but because of what they went through that day, the FBI revamped a lot of things. And that carries over to other agencies, and including my agency, DEA. At that time, we were just becoming our own agency as far as the training academy. Uh, and our guys started picking up the ball and, and running with it, doing an excellent job. But why would you go reinvent the wheel when you got the guy that, you know, that broke his hand creating the wheel is there to help you. So a lot of the policies and the things that lessons learned that day by the FBI and their evaluation of everything translated over not only to DEA, but other agencies as well. So uh, yep. good job, FBI. Very, very, very brokenhearted for your losses back then. But but proud of you, my man, Ed Morellis. And uh, we put, yeah. go head on over to his website, Ed Morellis. That's M-I-R-E-L-E-S, edmorellis.com. And then you can also head on over to our book page. We put everything up on our book page and his book page, basically, um, the uh, firefight in Miami, Five Minutes That Changed the Bureau. It's mm-hmm. available off of our webpage, his website, and off of Amazon. So you guys go help him out. Go order that book. All right, guys. So we hope you enjoyed that episode just half as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has, it is to this day, it has a lasting impact on the safety and security of every police officer out there on the street. So gonna hit, hit on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Let us know what you think. Drop some comments in there. Also head on over to gameofcrimespodcast.com. I put some pictures up from it. Um, some of them come out of the book, but there's a couple there I didn't put, but you can see of the, they're pretty bloody. We've shown the two bank robbers, um, mm. you know, aftermath. So it, it was uh, the diagram of the scene you talked about, Steve. So just mm-hmm. head on over there, gameofcrimespodcast.com, see the webpage. You'll see just a few of the pictures. There's a lot more we could have put on there. Also, uh, head on over to social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But head on over to PayPal, uh, not PayPal. We talked about that before. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. One more time, that's patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have got good stuff on there. We put a lot of effort into this. We put more hours probably into Patreon in terms of just overall mm-hmm. recording each month than what we do on our free podcast. And we'd really appreciate if you guys over there, just go over and get us a shot. Start off at the evil is coming level, five bucks a month. See what you're going to get. The real DEA narcos, that's Javi and Steve talking about Pablo. Then we got Chris and Dave talking about taking down the Cali cartel. Then we've got 911 calls and case of the month and you can't make this shit up. We got the humorous, we got the serious and everything in between. 
Don't we, Murph? Absolutely. And when you come on and you fall in love with us, then share it with all your friends and bring them on board as well. Just just don't make me follow a restraining order, okay? <laughs> just <laughs> I'll, I'll be posting his address later. As well. Yeah, thank, thanks very much. Yeah, you know, and again, but we appreciate you guys doing that. Hey, guys, and most importantly, we appreciate you guys being players and listening to us. And we want to thank you guys once again every week for tuning in and playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 